In this special episode, we travel to Plano to see the latest from Lexus and Toyota, this week on the Lexus Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Kevin Watts. I'm the founder of Lexus Enthusiast. Joining me is executive editor, Michael Pannone. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Hey, Kevin. I'm good. How are you? Doing good. So this is a special episode. We're talking about your trip out to Plano. There was a Mm -hmm. uh, Toyota Confidential event, they called it. And it was just a showcase of all of the latest from both Lexus and Toyota. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you saw the NX. But there was a lot more to your trip, and uh, we're just going to kind of get right into it and and talk about all the different experiences that you had while you were there. Definitely. Do you want to just start us off and tell us about that first day? And Yeah. So I will say that, uh, you know, the event now was about three and a half weeks ago, and I know you guys probably would have liked this information sooner, but it was a little bit difficult to talk about the event without being able to also talk about the NX. So Mm -hmm. now that the NX is out and we've all seen it, it frees me up to be able to talk about how the technology and the experience of the NX shaped the rest of the event. So that's the reason that this podcast is coming a week later. And I also know that there are a number of Toyota and Lexus folks who listen to the podcast. So as we're talking about the event, I want to start off by telling that team thank you. They did an incredible job. I mean, events of this magnitude are not easy to put on and not easy to execute. And as I'll talk more about it, essentially it was like a Toyota auto show. <laughs> so yeah. the team the team just did a great job. It, everything was first rate. The accommodations, the food, the transportation, the experiences, it really really was awesome so uh toyota and lexus team thank you for inviting us it was great they always do a great job with their events over the years always come away from them being very impressed with how they handle everything yeah it was awesome so with that said um i got picked up from the airport in a rav4 and (laughs) we went over to the hotel and uh, it was interesting because we had a lounge uh at the hotel we'd go upstairs and check in and get your credentials and your room keys and things like that And it was kind of funny for me because I'm sitting there and I I grabbed a bottle of water and sat down for a minute. All of a sudden, all of these YouTubers start filing in. (laughs) So (laughs) it was it was funny because for me, I'm I'm a little bit starstruck because these are people whose YouTube videos I watch all the time. So, you know, like Sofian Bay from Redline comes in and then our friend Kurt Kreifel comes in and then the guys from, you know, TFL come in (laughs) and it's just like all know each other, though, eh? Yeah, they do. And it's yeah. funny. It's just funny to be sitting there because I guess they just come from the accurate TLX Type S event. So they were kind of talking about it, but not talking about it because it was under embargo at that point still. You know, it was <laughs> it just was interesting being a fly on the wall as they're talking about like recording equipment and video issue or video issues and, you know, whose videos got the most views. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like yeah. that. But that was also my first chance to meet Kirk in person, which was great after recording that podcast with him. recently. Oh, yeah. So great. Guy. Um, yeah, I love Kirk. We, we hung yeah. out pretty much the whole time we were there, which was fun. And then a couple like two hours later, I think there was an opening press presentation from Toyota and Lexus and it was really nice like rooftop food and drinks it was really beautiful and it also the weather there was really pretty too um mm, no hail no hail I dressed too hot <laughs> I, I for some reason I was thinking I'm gonna go to Texas like I should just bring you know shorts and t-shirts almost <laughs> but the evenings and the mornings were pretty chilly like it was yeah in, you know the low 60s and then of course during the day you get up into the high 80s and the 90s but they gave us a present a really brief presentation on product and then dove right into what we would come to know as Lexus interface. So 
the headlining, you know, opening presentation really was about multimedia and infotainment. And it was really impressive. And I think, you know, keep in mind at this point, I hadn't seen the NX, so we didn't know. Like, you know, we had an idea, but it was still kind of like they were telling us about this in general terms. And Toyota and Lexus essentially scoured the globe to be able to pick the best team and the best people to create Lexus interface. And they looked at different regions, you know, USA and Japan and other parts of the world. They looked at different engineering teams and different people. And they pretty much put together an A team of people who had the skills and also knew how important it was to get this right. Mm -hmm. And so the presentation talked through, you know, how they've been folding in and adding new engineers and working together. And they're even pulling in customers and having, you know, current customers come in and trial the products and the beta versions and talk about what features they like and what features they don't. You know, it's an open source system as we know now. So, you know, they're building in integrations for things like Apple Music and Google Maps and Pandora and Spotify. So my real day job is in the software industry. So I see these things happen in terms of SaaS, like software as a service. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how they built Lexus interface, which was really cool to see. They're really proud of it. And they, I have to say they've done a great job. <laughs> My understanding is that the team was based out of uh, North America. It was a uh, North American run. Yep. They specifically decided to make the North American team in charge of it. And I think they, they did touch on this and, you know, it's not, not that it's, necessarily possible to build you know different multimedia versions for different places in the world but after they realized what they were onto with the north american market it seems like now this team will lead all future multimedia and infotainment development across the globe the other regions who had a chance to see the system basically said we want this too <laughs> did you get any idea that this system in any way shape or form would be coming to toyota no i didn't hear anything specific on that um mm -hmm. I, I have to assume it might we heard yeah. some rumors a couple months ago that it might go into the Tundra, but I didn't right. see the interior of the Tundra, so I can't quite tell you. And then how many people do you think were there in terms of media? I'd say probably 50 or 60 total. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there was, you know, I mentioned some of the YouTubers before, but there was also, you know, like Alex on Autos and Motor Trend was there and Kelly Blue Book was there. So it was a pretty good group. So that was night one, pretty chill, which, you know, a lot of these first night evenings are. And then do you want to jump into the first full day? Yeah, let's, let's just keep going. Yeah. Awesome. So Toyota opened the first full day of the event talking a bit about company performance and then pretty much diving right into electrification. So a couple of cool things here I'll share with you from some of the opening remarks. The opening remarks were structured around the LFZ Electrified and the Toyota BZ4X concept. Okay. So they did mention that so far this year, this has been the best first five months in company history. And 26% of all the vehicles they've sold have been hybrid or alternative power, which that's more than a quarter. <laughs> so that's pretty yeah. impressive. They talked a lot about Lexus Electrified. And I know that we have seen that term here and there, I think mostly in videos and some marketing stuff, but they kind of broke it down for us a little bit further. The Lexus Electrified term refers to hybrid electric vehicles, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles and battery electric vehicles so anything right the, the whole basically gamut. exactly and there were a couple pretty interesting things that they said uh the one that really really stuck out to me was that going forward the most exciting and most fun lexus products will be under the lexus electrified umbrella oh that's a pretty big departure that's a pretty big departure and i assume you're probably thinking what i'm thinking there <laughs> like yeah we're looking at some electrification for f products uh there's yeah, no way we're not so for sure yeah and they kind the of word fun 
Yeah. Right. They kind of grinned when they said that. So Mm -hmm. going forward, the most exciting and most fun Lexus products will be under Lexus Electrified. They also said that uh, Lexus has been spending a lot of time working hard on what the experience of driving and owning an electric car should be like, uh, specifically with regard to Direct 4 and refining the Lexus driving signature for electric vehicles. So, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Akio Toyota made that comment that Tesla was essentially an ingredient and not a recipe. I really did get the sense from this event that Lexus is being very thoughtful and very careful about how they approach electrification. And like we said before, it was true. They want to build an electric Lexus, not just an electric vehicle. (laughs) So I sound like I'm really splicing hairs here, but there's a difference, you know, like so far, a lot of the conversation has been, oh, who has an electric car or electric vehicle? Their focus is how do we build a vehicle that feels like the next generation of Lexus, but is also electrified, which I think is the right way to approach it. I definitely think so. Yeah. And probably uh, second to most exciting products being under the Lexus electrified umbrella, the most important note was that the LFZ Electrified will be coming to production in the next 14 months. Wow. Wow. So there it is. You know, again, you know, we know these things because we follow trademarks and such, but I have to believe that the LFZ Electrified is probably going to become the RZ, uh, seeing it in person and seeing the size and the footprint of it. It's a midsize, you know, at least the concept is a midsize product. I don't see how it comes as anything other than the RZ. So so what kind of comparables would you say in terms of its size and, and everything? That's a great question. I would say if there was something like an ES wagon, mm. it would probably be about the same size. And, you know, I don't know exactly how it will translate from concept to production, but it's a the LFZ Electrified is a good size vehicle. And I have to say everybody at the event pretty much felt the same way it is gorgeous in person like i know when we all saw it in pictures and video we were like oh okay cool you know some of the details are cool you know the shape is cool seeing it in person the vehicle has just the right mix of curves and strong lines you stand there and you look at it it feels like you are looking at a, a strong and purposeful design the blacked out greenhouse you know the fender flares and things like that. It's a it's an aggressive design and it also looks really good. Okay, so I got two questions. Mm-hmm. And my first one is, did you think, did it look production? No, I would say the overall shape could certainly be production, but some of the details like, you know, the liners on the fenders kind of have those cool lines that come off of them. The front end needs a little bit of work. Like we all were looking at the back of it, which is essentially that totally horizontal LED bar. And Mm -hmm. there's kind of something similar on the front with the headlights, like that material. Yeah, It's beautiful, that design, but I don't know how that necessarily works in the real world because it's like, if you ever take a road trip in a car like that, like we were all joking, I don't know how you would ever get bugs out of (laughs) (laughs) like, like there's a couple little pieces of the design that as beautiful as they are, are going to have to change to make production. So I'd say the outside of it's probably 85% there. And then could you picture the LFZ with a standard spindle grill with like a mesh pattern? Mm. Or do you see it just as sort of the shield that they've created? 
if I think about the fact that some of the design cues, like the shape of the lights and things like that are going to have to change, like I just said, I guess I can imagine it with a traditional spindle. Mm -hmm. But I also, I don't know, Lexus is pretty clear that they're wanting to take some chances and do things differently right now. So I would not be surprised if it comes to market as sort of more of the shield versus the spindle. But, you know, there's questions about that, too. Like if it's a huge flat piece of plastic and you hit a rock at 60 miles an hour, yeah, what then you know yeah. yeah so those are some questions that they're going to have to figure out as they work towards production on a vehicle like that and then Good did you question. get to see the inside i did but it was carpet <laughs> so yeah it was the, it was really just an exterior design mock-up the inside of it did not at all show the same interior that lexus had oh really it was actually yeah. just uh... <laughs> it was true yeah it was truly just a dummy interior oh okay yeah and then one other note in terms of those vehicles making production. So as I mentioned, the LFC will make production in the next 14 months. The Toyota BZ4X, which is a bit smaller, they will show a production version of that in the fall, and then it will be on sale as a production vehicle in 2022. So, wow, so pretty accelerated. Yeah. You know, Lexus, we've all talked about it. It's been moving a little bit slowly, but they're pretty clear that they're ready to make some moves. It was just like a basically just a torrent of different Toyota reveals for that day. It was. So after that, it almost went a little bit more to like an auto show style event where I used to work in the auto show circuit and industry. And when you have press days before an auto show, it's very much like 15 minute increments. You continually go to like a different manufacturer, a different oh, manufacturer, yeah. a different manufacturer. Right. You've done it before. Yeah. So it, it was similar because and I should also mention that this whole event was set up at Toyota's Plano headquarters, like the campus. So it's huge. It's also beautiful. So they have the space to set all these different booths and areas up. So anyway, after the initial presentation on electrification and the things I just mentioned, we kind of kicked off a round of like reveals so the first one was the corolla cross and again these kind of like rattled like real quickly every 15 minutes yeah so they showed us the corolla cross and then we went over to see the new a91 carbon fiber edition supra which yeah. was cool Immediately after that, we saw the GR86 reveal. Immediately after that, we went to the new TRD Pro Tacoma and the new Tacoma Trail trims. Yeah. And I have to say, when it came out in pictures that day, a lot of people were looking at that. I think it's called Electric Lime, the new TRD yeah, Pro color. color. Yeah, pretty intense. It's pretty loud, but I yeah. got to tell you, it's pretty nice in person. <laughs> what would show off the vehicle really well? Yeah, it does. And we'll put up some pictures and things from the event. But in the, the edited pictures that go out for press, sometimes it's hard to get an idea for the depth of a color. Mm -hmm. In person, that color is actually really pretty. Like from some angles, it looks lime. From some angles, it looks kind of green. And then from other angles, it looks yellow. But it's a nice color. <laughs> it's really a nice color. And is that only for the TRD Pro? It is. Yeah. yeah. So I assume that will mean probably the other TRD Pro vehicles, like, <laughs> like the Forerunner. Like the, the Forerunner? Yeah, like, God, have though, a lime uh, forerunner. I guess, but even worse than that, I mean, are they going to do a lime sequoia? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe an electric oh lime sequoia might be a little much. I don't know. Yeah, but hey, <laughs> beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. yeah. So there were a lot of questions and some good dialogue during the TRD Pro Tacoma event. We also had just come off of the GR86 event, which I mentioned right before. And it's interesting to hear Toyota talk about GR as well as TRD Pro. 
you know, there was that announcement, I think it was like three years ago now, that Toyota was going to consolidate all of their performance and racing brands under the GR name. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people specifically in North America had that question of, okay, was well, TRD going to go away or TRD Pro? So I asked the question at that event and I said, you know, we just came from an event talking a lot about GR and the team who put together the Supra and the 86. And now we're talking about TRD Pro, you know, how different are they? And in a marketing sense, does it not make more sense to just pick one? The, the response was interesting. They said that there is so much equity in the TRD name in North America that they're going to keep it for now. TRD Pro is pretty much just going to be specific to body on frame SUVs. So it's a very yeah. market specific approach. You know, this is the biggest market for body on frame SUVs. They've also seen incredible success, as we know, with TRD Pro for the last couple of years, you know, in the rest of the world. And it's interesting because we even just saw it with the new Land Cruiser, but the rest of the world is going to get GR. But here right. in North America, body on frame SUVs will be TRD Pro. And so I even asked the question, like, you know, looking at things like RAV4 or Highlander, is it potential that some of the crossovers could be TRD Pro or will those be GR? And they weren't quite sure. They said those are things that they're still kind of sorting out. But right. here in this market, they're very dedicated to TRD Pro and body on frame together. So it's kind of a package deal. Well, the thing about these special edition trucks is that they are all trying to build up, I don't want to say heritage, but they're uh -huh. trying to build up a history. Special editions mean a lot to that segment. Agreed. More so than, I would say, other segments. And I would think that just with the equity, the brand equity of TRD, it just really fits with that specific type of model. And I, I think it makes sense to keep it just as a body on frame option. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually go through to like fact check this, but I, I asked the question and I said, you know, then does TRD in terms of hierarchy sit under the GR umbrella? And mm. the answer that I got was that Koji Sato is actually the person who's over GR and performance and brands in general, including, oh you know, as we know, he's also heavily involved in Lexus. So, well, not just heavily involved. He's the president of Lexus. Right. <laughs> right. He's the president of Lexus. Yeah. Um, so when I asked that question, you know, in terms of like GR and TRD Pro and potentially F, you know, they kind of smiled and they were like, well, it's really the same guys in charge of all of it. So take with that, you know, what you will. And I was like, well, oh, what, a, okay. what a superstar that guy is. Right. Uh, like, the, uh, yeah. you know, ask me what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, <laughs> there exactly. it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. One, and one of the nicest people you'll meet as well. The team in North America is equally as excited about GR and TRD Pro. You know, no matter what you want to call it, there's going to be a lot more performance vehicles and special editions in the future, which is pretty exciting. And then you also did see some special editions. One of my favorites being the Sienna Woodlands. Well, oh, you God. want to talk us through those? Why is that your favorite? <laughs> I love a minivan. You know me. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, sitting there going in like 15 minute increments from like brand new Corolla Cross, special edition of the Supra, brand new 86, special editions of the Tacoma. <laughs> The yeah. special editions of the Highlander and the Sienna and the Prius didn't feel quite as groundbreaking. But yeah, we got no. to see the new Highlander Bronze Edition, which is fine. The Sienna Woodlands Edition, which, you know, like I know I give you a hard time, but it actually was pretty cool. Yeah. So you did all these reveals. You did the, the auto show circuit at Toyota HQ. Mm -hmm. And then you, uh, you had a little bit of freedom. Yeah, it was awesome. So the next part of it, I almost couldn't believe this, but they set it up. I mean, obviously the parking lot there is huge. 
and they set it up there was one of almost everything if not two or three of almost everything in the parking lot outside so we had lunch and then they basically set us free (laughs) and you could sign up for slots and go drive anything that you wanted there's everything from like ls 500s to the new corolla apex edition like it was all there it was really really cool so i drove three vehicles during this time the first one that i drove which i was actually really surprised by was the mirai they had a bunch of mirais and it's tough because that's not a vehicle I'm probably going to get a chance to drive otherwise because we right. don't have hydrogen in Georgia. But mm-hmm. anyway, Mike Forsyth and I were both like, let's go drive Mirai's and let's do it together. So we went out, grabbed the keys, went in the Mirai and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so, you know, it's to. yeah. So it's funny because we were talking about it. There's been some discussion of like, if you look at the specs of this car, it's not that interesting and you're really not going to like it. Like it will never do well in North America. And I think the specs are, it weighs something like 42 or 4,300 pounds. And I think it has a combined output of like 184 horsepower, which on paper is awful. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. (laughs) But if we go, it also has a hybrid system in conjunction with a hydrogen power plant. It's not going to set the world on fire, but I would say that it's probably pretty, in terms of acceleration, it's probably something like an eight-ish second car. So it's probably pretty similar to like your ES250 all-wheel drive or, you know, maybe even, I don't know, like a Forerunner or something. I mean, and look, people buy a lot of those cars. So I was a little bit, I just was surprised because I had this preconceived notion that it was going to be like driving, you know, something that could barely get out of its own way. The Mirai can be pretty quick on its feet. If you told told me that it had 184 horsepower, I almost wouldn't believe you afterwards. The rest of the car is really nice. I mean, the interior is nice. It's small. Yeah. Kevin, you and I have talked about some of the rumors about the newer TNGA rear-wheel drive platforms. And Mm -hmm. as it stands right now, the Mirai and the Crown are the only two that are on the N rear-wheel drive platform, the LS and the LC are on GAL. So this was the first time I'd been in an N product. There's been a lot of discussion about these new rear-wheel drive platforms not being space efficient. We see that in the LS, not as much in the LC because it's a coupe. Right. But the Mirai is small inside. I mean, I'm a little over six feet tall. And for me, having my seat adjusted to how I am comfortable to drive, there was about four or five inches of legroom behind me. So oh, it's really, huh. yeah, it's really small. The interior, I would say that there's probably in terms of legroom, there's probably less interior space than an IS. It's wider for sure. So like for someone who's broad, like I am, yeah. it's pretty comfortable, but you really can't put four people in MRI unless you have a child in the car seat, but it's the interior is very, very tight. You can well, see that's where surprising. Yeah. The packaging of the car. I don't know all the technicality in terms of like how the hybrid and, you know, the hydrogen tanks are all packaged together, but the cabin is pretty small. But away from that, the quality, the way the car drives, the way it feels, a lot of the pieces of the interior, I just came away from it and Mike felt the same way, which is, you can't tell me that that wasn't supposed to be the GS. (laughs) Yeah. You felt that way afterwards? I did. Yeah. And, you know, I know that the hydrogen experience and everything is a little bit different, but it really is a nice car. It's a really nice car. It drives great. You know, the steering was good. The ride quality is good. And also, I wasn't super into the car in pictures. I thought it looked a little bit frumpy. It looks better, of course. Mm -hmm. But in person, you get a feel for kind of like the long hood 
and the fastback shape a little bit. It's really a nice car. I really, we, I mean, we both, we drove it once together and then we actually both went back a separate time and drove it again separately. And we both were like, I, I really like this car. <laughs> really well, it's like always it. really, it's always something to test drive a new brand new type mm-hmm. of powertrain. And, and, and that hydrogen powertrain is silent. Mm-hmm. It really is like driving a pokey Tesla. And the funny thing is I drove a pre-production version of that powertrain in 2000 i would say 2013 and it was actually inside of a lexus hs <laughs> oh what they oh the hs i forgot yeah yeah so they actually put the this powertrain into an hs body and had us test driving it outside of toyota city and i was really impressed with it even back then I remember thinking that if they could figure out the infrastructure, that it was definitely a revolutionary type of product. And I understand why Toyota and Lexus haven't given up on it Mm -hmm. at all, you know, and that they're continuing to work through the issues that come up with it and trying to figure out how to get people hydrogen. Yeah, it was it was really an interesting experience and I really enjoyed it. Just like you said, you know, with it being so quiet and pairing so well with a hybrid system, I hope that Toyota is able to continue to build the case for hydrogen infrastructure because the experience was definitely there. But you went from that to pretty much basically the exact opposite, didn't you? I did. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I have had a love-hate relationship with the fifth generation LS ever since it came out. And I know a lot of people have. My original issues with the LS were primarily around the twin turbo V6. And I've owned an LS before, as I know you and I've talked about. I drove the LS 600 HL. I worked at Lexus when it came out, so I drove that. I've driven plenty of LS 460s. I have a pretty good idea for what an LS is supposed to feel like. Mm -hmm. And this generation just never really felt like an LS to me. And I think the biggest reason for that, in my opinion, was that it has a six-cylinder engine. And I'm not just saying that I have a philosophical problem with that. It's that... There's a couple things. One, the engine has pretty bad turbo lag. The second thing is it sounds and feels like a V6. Yeah. You know, I mean, you had you had an LS too. You know, like part of the experience of driving an LS is it being incredibly quiet, incredibly serene and incredibly smooth. Just by nature, in my yeah. opinion, the twin turbo V6 doesn't deliver those things the same way. I, I would say that in terms of experience, they definitely went on to the opposite spectrum of mm-hmm. sort of that sportiness. They wanted to emphasize the performance of the twin turbo. Right. But it did come at the expense of the character of the LS. I think so. And, you know, that all of a sudden the LS went from being like the ultimate luxury cruiser to being on, you know, the GAL platform, which is a lot sportier and a lot stiffer. And, you know, the shape of it changed and the shape was a lot more aggressive. So all of those things like swung more towards the side of sport. And then, in my opinion, the twin turbo V6 is actually not a very sporty motor. You know, I think for me, it was the combination of the turbo lag, like before the 2018 to 2020 models. Remember, I told you that story of the time that I went to a Lexus driving event and like pulled out quickly in traffic and it took the car almost a full second, you know, to spool up and get going. And I almost got in an accident. (laughs) But for 2021, they refreshed the LS. And one of the big things that they talked about was how they changed the powertrain calibration to deliver more power in like low end day to day driving. Wow. Yeah, that's perfect. So I really wanted to give the LS another chance to see what it was like. 
So I drove an LS F Sport 2021 and it was a mixed bag. I got to tell you, (laughs) (laughs) it's better. It's definitely better. I can say that driving the car around town, around Plano, there's not that weird gap between like changing gears and, you know, the turbo spooling up. It's better. It's definitely better. It feels when you're below like seven tenths, it feels great. Yeah. But the motor still has major turbo lag issues. And the, the other part of it, too, is the transmission is so smooth and the shifts are so seamless that it's not like you have the sensation of like gear change up, gear change up. It's like it's more like a surge, like it's very smooth. It's almost like a CVT. It is. It is actually yeah. a lot like a CVT. So it's like, you know, driving it a little bit. They had different routes mapped out around HQ. You know, I can tell right. you that when you get the car, you know, to 60 and beyond, it definitely hits its stride. But driving the LS 500 around like and kind of like stop and go or expecting that you're going to get like a quick takeoff from a light or if you're trying to merge, the turbo lag is still there. It just is. (laughs) So So what's the what's the speed limit around there? I'm just not sure. (laughs) (laughs) You you don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It's so strange. I just didn't see it posted anywhere. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so I, I drove the LS and, you know, I came back and I parked it. And I kind of stood there for a minute and there was a luxury LS and an F Sport LS. And I was looking at it and I feel like I'm probably not like a lot of the other LS 500 buyers. And if you sit and you look at a car that isn't an F Sport car and has like the luxury pack and stuff like that, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's perfectly, perfectly fine. Like the new transmission tuning is a little bit smoother. It delivers power a little bit better. It looks a lot better. And you're right. It does look better. Yeah. The new front end looks better. For your average LS buyer who's probably not doing things like, you know, merging and taking people off of lights, <laughs> it's you're you're probably golden. But I just think that to offer an F Sport version of the car and for it to be a hundred thousand dollars, mm. I, I I don't think I could ever buy it, at least as it is right now, an LS F Sport, just because the I find that V6 to not be a very F Sport experience. I haven't driven the new LS, but in my experience mm-hmm. with the LS 500 F Sport, I always kind of felt like the car was kind of getting away from me a bit. Mm-hmm. I found it to be just not in the right. There was something off about the formula. And I my major complaint with the current LS is pretty fundamental in that I just don't think that there's enough room in the back seat. Agreed. Um, to really have the experience that you expect, particularly when you consider the previous generation and the immense interior of that car. And the ES. Yeah. And then also the ES, <laughs> when you consider that the, the LS has less interior room than the ES. It's a little confusing, but I do really like the driving experience of that twin turbo in the standard model because you're not trying to do what you would do in an F Sport model. I do not have the same problem that you have with the twin turbo. I, mm-hmm. I think it's a great powertrain. I just, I don't think it should be the only non-hybrid powertrain. I agree. Yeah. You know, they're not going to do it, but spending more time in the IS 500 with the five liter V8 and the LC 500, actually after driving the LC 500 specifically, I just feel like if the LS 500 F Sport had the five liter V8, it would literally be the perfect car. Mm. <laughs> it really yeah. would. Because just like we talked about, you know, the platform is stiff and rigid and capable and it handles better than any LS before, but it just, the experience feels weird when you're in this car that like is stiff and handles so well and you come around 
around the corner and you mash the gas pedal into the floor and it's like one Mississippi, <laughs> two Mississippi. <laughs> and then it's like, and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, you're hitting like 2,500 RPMs and the car is starting to take off and like the wheels chirp <laughs> when you go from yeah. like second to third. It's just, it's just weird. It's, it needs a little bit more of a balance. It does. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, you know, if you look at who's the buyer for an F Sport product, the V8 really would be perfect in the LSF sport. I just don't think it's going to happen. But I agree with what you just said. Like the other car was white and it, I forget the interior color name, but it's like the caramel. Maybe it's like flaxen with the ultra luxury package. And that car not having the expectation of being sporty or an F sport experience. Beautiful, yeah. <laughs> beautiful and, and really, really nice. But it was interesting because I went from the LS to the LX and there was one LX out there and I thought, you know, this is probably going to be my last chance to drive an LX 570. And I kind of want to be able to say goodbye. You guys know that I'm yeah. a Land Cruiser fanboy, but I yeah. also was just coming out of, you know, driving the LS for a half an hour and knowing at that time that that twin turbo V6 is going to make its way into the Land Cruiser and probably the LX. I kind of was just trying to figure out, can I drive one and figure out what the other might be like next time around? Mm -hmm. And probably the, <laughs> the most interesting thing to me was how much I disliked the V8 after coming out of the twin turbo V6. So <laughs> I know that everything yeah. I just said sounds counterintuitive. And I know that I've been one of these people who's like saved the V8s, but yeah, nobody's going to miss that V8 in the LX when they replace it with the twin turbo no, V6. They're not. Uh, <laughs> we did talk about it last episode, and I think that it's really a ponderous sort of engine. It, it mm -hmm. really doesn't. I mean, it, you almost don't even feel like you're moving it sometimes. Yeah, like, you don't. Just yeah. in comparison to everything I just said about the LS 500, you know, the 2021 plus when you're around town, like it does change gears quickly. It does get up and go quickly once you get over turbo lag. When I was in the LX, the analogy I said to you is it's kind of like moving a knife through a jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> like, you know, you get in and like immediately as you pull out, I mean, the handling is so loose and you know, you get out on the road and you put your foot down and it was like when you put your foot down in the LX, it's like it takes a second to be like, did you really just put your foot down? Oh, OK, <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Yeah. OK, well, I guess now we'll <laughs> respond, you know, and we'll kind of. All right. All right. OK, we'll start going. Uh, <laughs> and it's also sort of the same thing with gear changes. Like, you know, when you do put your foot down, it's like it's going to take a minute. It's going to drop a gear. It's going to put you in the next gear and then it's going to start to deliver power. Even though the, the twin turbo V6 suffers from turbo lag, it changes gears much faster. Even though it takes a second for the turbos to spool up and start to deliver power, it feels like a rocket ship compared to the V8. And I drove them back to back, you know, 30 minutes each or so. And there's a lot of things about the LX still to love, but I just came away from the experience feeling like once this twin turbo V6 goes into the next generation LX, it's really going to be a huge upgrade. And I say that as someone who loves V8s. Well, I mean, that's what you get when you drive a, what, 13, 14 year old vehicle. Yeah. It starts to show its age. Yeah. I think one of the things really that stands out still about the LX is that interior. That interior and the driving position mm -hmm. and your visibility and everything like that, you you really do feel like king of the road in that vehicle. You do. In a, you do. In a lot of ways, but it does suffer a lot from that 5.7 yeah. liter. Yeah. Yeah. King of the road is a good way to put it. And I think for me... 
coming out of driving the Mirai and then driving the LS500, I definitely had to adjust my expectations for a minute in the LX570. But once I did that, you do settle into the experience of like, okay, I'm not going anywhere fast, but I am going to yeah. get there comfortably. And I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think the interesting <laughs> thing about that too is, you know, obviously having a GX now, the GX is a lot smaller and kind of like quicker on its feet and more agile than the LX. And I don't know that I had that pegged. Like, I guess the LX was just a lot more loose and lazy than I thought it was going to be in the GX, mm -hmm. while certainly being a comfortable body on frame SUV, like the LX definitely was several notches more towards comfort. And then you got into one of the big reveals eh, of the event. I did. And so... Um, I'm excited. I think I can talk about this now because the picture was officially tweeted by Toyota, but they showed us the new Tundra. And yeah. when <laughs> when we got there, I was a little disappointed because it wasn't on the formal schedule. But that day, you know, it was like there will be a couple sneak peeks, they told us. Oh, yeah. So we went into a room and it was covered by a sheet and they made everybody put your phones away. And then they pulled the sheet off of it and bam, it was the new Tundra. And... <laughs> I got to tell you, it's really nice. <laughs> it's yeah. really nice. So this was just a fiberglass mock-up. It also didn't have an interior just like the LFC Electrified didn't, but it was a true design prototype of the new Tundra. From the side, it doesn't look that different, actually. And I know that there's only so many ways that you can design a full-size pickup truck, so I don't know exactly what I was expecting. But the translation from the first-generation Tundra to the second-generation Tundra was completely different. Remember that? Yeah, there was like, significant. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was like there was nothing carried over. The new truck, you can tell is a Tundra. It looks like the evolution of the current-generation Tundra, very much so. Over the wheel wells uh, and the fenders, there's those kind of like indentations that the current Tundra has. So that part of it, you wouldn't think it was anything other than a Tundra, which is actually, I think, a cool thing for Toyota because it means that among the F-150 and the Ram and the Silverado, you know, at different points in its life cycle, people have blamed the Tundra for taking different cues from different trucks. Yeah. The new one really isn't anything but a Tundra. Like through and through, it's a Tundra. So the back end of it is a little different. The front end of it is definitely the biggest change. And now that we've all seen it in pictures based on what Toyota recently released, you you know what it looks like. I'm going to be interested to see what the other trims look like. For example, potentially an SR5 or a Limited or Platinum or something. Yeah. Because the TRD Pro walking around the truck is a lot. <laughs> it's got yeah. like the exhaust. It's got TRD Pro in letters bigger than my head stamped into the tailgate. It's got the Toyota Heritage grill, the light bar in the front. I like full-size trucks a lot. To me, that's a little much. But I think, again, kind of similar going back to what we were talking about before about special editions and special trucks i think they did a great job the wheels are really nice the package is really it looks nice i mean it's it's a nice truck it's big it's definitely as big as the current tundra i would say looking at the hood line and some of the other things in some ways it almost feels a little bit bigger than the current tundra which is crazy to imagine it was brief it was probably like a five or ten minute thing just enough time to walk around it and get a look at it i'm excited about what this means for all the future body on frame products because you know, looking at some of the detailing in the front end and the fenders and stuff like that, I'm excited for the new Tundra. Well, all the trucks look the same now. Yep. You can tell what brand they are. That's not what I'm saying, but there's a pretty standard formula now. And, you know, when you're talking about how Toyota was able to maintain that it was a Tundra, it's really hard now to tell the difference between the last two generations of F-150s. And mm -hmm. I think that they really do focus on these special editions to 
either dial them up or dial them down mm-hmm. because you just see the same truck and the only way to really differentiate them is with these high-end or sporty trim levels and they've hit on the formula that they need to and they're not deviating from it at all and that's no mm-hmm. manufacturer really other than ford with their lightning which still remains the most perfect vehicle ever made <laughs> I know you love the F-150 Lightning. (laughs) And, you know, one interesting point, I did ask somebody about the Tundra. So you know how the Raptor has it, and I don't remember the exact specifications, but if your vehicle is a certain width, you have to put those quote-unquote Raptor lights, what people call them now. They have to have the Raptor lights on the front end, those little usually amber lights in the grill, and now it's become so popular in like the off-road community and everything. Yeah. So you you noticed the Tundra has those lights in the grill. So I actually asked one of the product people there, I said, be honest with me, was this a design decision or is it actually wide enough to warrant needing the lights? And they said that it is within an inch of the width that you would need those lights so in the event that people are going to buy them and put on things like fender flares or you know new fenders or things like that they just went ahead and put them on anyway because the truck is very close to the size to needing them and then i mean to bring it back what about uh what about a lexus tundra what do you think it's actually very funny that you say that because that comment was brought up Uh, And it was actually brought up during the NX reveal. I think it was somebody from Automotive News who asked Andrew Gilliland the question. And he said, we're in a market that's crazy for electrics and crazy for trucks. Uh, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think the F-150 Lightning had like just come out when I was there. And so he basically referenced it and was like, you know, you guys are doing hybrids, but you know, the hottest market might be an electric truck. Would Lexus ever build like a version of the Tundra? And so the response was like half your general PR response of like, we're always evaluating the market. But Andrew Gilliland, and one of the things I love about him is that he is a straight shooter, straight up. Like (laughs) Andrew will tell you exactly what's up. He just hit it and he was like, look, a lot of these trucks now are going for like 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, a thousand dollars. I don't know if there needs to be a Lexus truck. You know, he he was like, it's not like, it's not like BMW has one and Mercedes has one. You look at like the King Ranch or some of the other top end versions of these trucks and they're already hitting luxury pricing and Tundra has the brand equity to be able to do it. So there's just not a need for a Lexus version. And it makes sense. Like, what could they possibly price a Lexus truck at and still sell it? Right. Like the Tundra's older now, but I think a platinum Tundra now is in the 60s. So it's like, let's say a Lexus truck would have to start somewhere in like the high 60s to 70s. Well, I'm pretty sure that, you know, you take the new Tundra and everything, you know, TNGA body on frame and new engines and hybrid. I'm pretty sure that the Platinum and the TRD Pro trims are already going to be 60, 70, if not 80,000. So, I mean, he pretty much was like, no, there's no case. (laughs) It's like, okay. (laughs) And that's fair enough. What else did he say? I mean, Andrew was awesome. This was my first time being able to be around him, and it was primarily around the NX reveal, which I had a conversation with him for about 20 minutes one-on-one after the NX reveal. We talked a bit about the NX and talking about what an impressive product it is overall, and pretty quickly moved into talking about body-on-frame product and talking about the GX and the LX, and I told him that I just recently bought a GX, and he made the point of, this market is crazy where we can't build enough GXs. Like, dealers are selling them before they're showing up. The LX is in high demand. You know, you look at Toyota, the 4Runner, you know, the Tacoma, like, even the Tundra, like, they're flying off lots, and these products are, like, 10, you know, 12, 13 years old. And he said that Lexus North America 
has really had to fight for these body on frame products and they're getting them. So the buyer here wants body on frame and they want big power and they're going to get both. So, you know, he specifically said the next LX is coming, you know, there'll be some other stuff coming, but we know where we stand in the market. We have a competitive advantage being body on frame. It's something that our customers want and we're going to deliver. And I was like, you're speaking my language right now. So um, and, preaching you know, to the converted. Right, right. And so we talked a bit about the IS kind of like on the other end of the spectrum. And he's like, people love the car. Like, that's it. People love the car. We took the V8. We put the V8 in the car. It's what people wanted. And the product's going to deliver. So like, once again, I'm most concerned with listening to what our customers want. And if that is what our customers want, that is what we will build. And that was probably the common theme, I think. Some of the journalists were asking questions about why not more electrification and, you know, is an NX plug-in hybrid enough and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. Andrew just kept making the point of like, look, we're not Tesla. You know, if people want that, they can go buy a Tesla, but Lexus is not Tesla. And our customers, you know, we have customers who still want a V8, which is why we built an IS500 F Sport Performance. We have customers who want body on frame products with big horsepower, like we're building those products. So we will also have a portfolio of vehicles that are fully electric and hybrid electric and plug in electric. But we're not we're not at a point of being fully electric right now. And it's not going to happen anytime soon. And it was like, bam, yeah, (laughs) like, you know, I mean, it's dropping the mic. Yeah, I mean, he speaks with conviction, but he's right. And I I brought up the point to him, too, when we were talking. And I said, you know, there's that statistic that's like electric vehicles make up 70% of the media mentions for all automobiles, but they only make up like 7% of sales. And he was like, that's why our approach is this kind of portfolio approach where we will still have some gas motors, we will have hybrid, we will have plug-in hybrid, and we will have battery electric. So he's like, there will be something for everyone. But as long as these are the products that our customers want and expect us to build, they're the products that we're going to have. And I was like, I can't argue with you. <laughs> you think about everything that they debuted at this event. You think about the what they're talking about right now. It really is about bringing themselves back to what customers want. And mm-hmm. I, you think about the replacing remote touch. It took them so long to do that, but this is when right. they've done it. And you'd start thinking about this, finally having a new base engine for all Lexus models. And they've finally done it. Here it is. Yep. It, there's almost just a realization that they may have gotten further away away from what their customers want than they want Mm -hmm. it to be. And this is really a course correction for that. Yeah. And I can tell you, Andrew and everybody else that I talked to is customer first right now. That was probably the theme from Lexus for the couple days that I was there is like product, product, product. Like you and I talked about it at length, but we went through years and years where it seemed as though talking about design and experience amazing was kind of a band-aid for the fact that the product was not as competitive as it had been at other points in Lexus history. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that right now, Lexus is focused on product. There's no doubt and about it. that's what we want. I mean, that's what we want. Like you saw the new ES, right? saw the new 2022 mm-hmm. yeah so the second half of the day and you know this is all crazy because we're still talking about the first day the first full day <laughs> so the first the first part of it was the toyota part of it and then the open driving and then it went we switched gears i think it was like 4 p.m the lexus portion of it started they had different stations set up where you could kind of go through different presentations so the three of them were lexus electrified teammate and then the lexus driving signature so the lexus electrified portion kind of echoed some of the same things that were given during the opening presentation but basically saying first of all we have a portfolio approach to electrification that goes from everything from hybrids to battery electric but they kept reiterating the fact that the most exciting and the most fun lexus products going forward 
will be electrified. They really drove that point home. So, you know, we're looking at Direct 4 and batteries and hybrids. Like, there's definitely going to be some performance applications coming in the future. No doubt about it. The second one was Teammate. The Teammate one was a little bit more brief. It basically talked about the development of the system and how it came to be. And then the third one was the Lexus driving signature. So we've heard this a couple different times now in a marketing sense, I think, but it's a re- it's actually a real thing. I mean, Lexus is looking at their cars and the drivetrains and the engines and the all-wheel drive systems. And again, the customer expectations for the product and they're calling Lexus driving signature, both how they tune cars to make sure they all feel like a Lexus, but also how they kind of finalize cars to be what a customer expects. So those were kind of the three. And then after that, I did get a minute to sit in the 2022 ES. I have to say the changes are definitely pretty minimal. Mm -hmm. Like walking up to it, the only way that I figured out that it was a 22 ES was looking at the shape of the projector and the headlight. Okay. Yeah. On the outside, I don't know if anything else changed aside from that. It's the shape of the projectors and the headlights. And then, you know, it's now touchscreen. So yeah. When I was was walking around it, took a look at it, took a couple pictures, we shared them on Instagram and Facebook. The big change to the interior is just that the screen is really moved probably three or four inches closer to the driver. So we have a couple pictures of that too that we'll post, but it was nice. I also got to spend some time with the IS500 F Sport Performance Launch Edition (laughs) in person. (laughs) Yeah. The incognito paint is just incredible. I love the car. I really love the car. And then we went from there into the NX reveal. And they made us put stickers on our phones. (laughs) They made everybody take out. Yeah. We had to take out our phones and they had to watch us put stickers over the cameras on our phones uh, during the whole presentation. Obviously no phone out. So I know that the previous podcast was dedicated to the NX, so I won't go, you know, too much into it, but I did just recently post a first impressions in person article with the NX. So if you have questions about what it really was like in person, check that out. But I just, I will say that This NX definitely feels to me like a new chapter for Lexus. You look at TNGAK platform, you look at all the engine options, you look at the plug-in, you look at new all-wheel drive, full-time all-wheel drive for the 350, you look at Lexus interface. This is different. (laughs) You know, we've, we've heard for years about, you know, Lexus vehicles being underpowered or not exciting enough for front wheel drive or remote touch being crap. (laughs) Like the NX takes all of those things and throws them in the garbage in one product. It's a very impressive product. Everything about it was incredible incredibly impressive. I mean, the interior, the technology, you know, the digital latch and the safe exit assist and the design of it and five different powertrain options. And yeah, I mean, I was really impressed, really, really impressed. And they also gave us a hands-on run through and some time with Lexus interface. And I just got to say like Lexus interface is awesome. What I really like about this and what I really like about the approach that Lexus has taken with the reveal of this NX is they've kind of given us a lot to digest, a lot of things to look at, but there's still so much more coming with this vehicle. This is just like the first Mm -hmm. step in their launch strategy. And then eventually it's going to get to a point where everyone's going to be able to go into the Lexus dealership and try out the new interface. And then the next Lexus that they buy is going to have it and so on and so forth. And I mean, this is really just the start of everything. It is the turning the page on so much of what has been ailing Lexus for the last while. And an interesting point about interface is they specifically made the point and said to us multiple times, 
this is not going to take as long as other systems to get through the lineup. I think they said that within like three years, every every Lexus would have Lexus oh. interface, which is a lot shorter of a time frame than it has yeah. been, especially when you consider that, you know, there's some Lexus products now that don't even have remote touch. <laughs> so <laughs> those um, will be the easiest to replace. Right, right. <laughs> they're committed to it. I mean, they're really proud of the system that they should be. The system is incredible and they're committed to getting it in cars as quickly as they can. So, and you also found out something about the LF1. Is that right? I did. I'm not going to name names. And <laughs> okay. This was towards the end of the night, but I, I said to somebody at Lexus, I said, the number one question that we get at Lexus Enthusiast is, what and where is the LF1 limitless concept? So what can you tell me? And what I was told by this person verbatim was all of our concepts mean something for production and you will see what the LF1 meant in about 14 months. Which is the same amount of time as the production LFZ. Is that right? That is so I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't press it a whole lot further than that. I just was curious and wanted to ask the question. But what you just said is what automatically clicked in my mind as well. So I think we were right. I mean, at least at this point, there's no plan for a LF1 production in terms of mm-hmm. a flagship crossover coupe. Right. We, we talked about it. It comes up, you know, every other podcast, but thinking about and look like this is part of why I'm excited to have this conversation after the NX. Because now we are entering an era where, you know, we're not just talking about the front wheel drive RX anymore. Like the NX350 is going to have a full time all wheel drive system. So let's go ahead and scale that up and think about RX350 and RX500H and TX350 and 500H. Like the RX is not going to just be your mom's RX anymore, like the same way that this NX has changed too. So some of it is software and some of it is hardware. But the next generation of Lexus products are going to have the same level of execution as this new NX and greater. So when you scale that up through the lineup and you think like RX, TX, or you even think like ES, I just don't think that the LF1 was necessary anymore. I don't and know so, where it would have fit, really. Yeah, if you factor in the RZ, which we know is going to happen, and then you also factor in the GX, which I'll get to that more in a minute. But that's a whole lot of product between like RX, TX, RZ, GX, LX. And look, you know, I, none of this is confirmed. I just think that if the LF1 and the LFZ electrified end up coming together and hinting at what becomes the RZ or something similar, Lexus will have done the right thing. So there's definitely part of me that wishes that the LF1 was already here by now. But, you know, the things I saw in Plano and the energy with the brand and seeing the LFZ electrified, I think they're going to make the right call. Yeah, because you're getting to a point now, like as we've said before, where all of Lexus product is going to be elevated to this new level that the NX has hit. And you really do have a scenario where you can transform the RX. And the truth is, is that the top end of the lineup is heavy. There needs to be more middle-class product, mm-hmm. middle-class within, within the Lexus lineup. And there's a big opening there for them to sell volume and as much as the LF1 was what we wanted to see when we wanted to see it and the idea of it not hitting fruition is is disappointing i think that we can't discount the transformation that it's going to have mm-hmm. in regards to 
the RZ. Let's see what this product turns out to be before we start wishing for a higher end flagship crossover coupe. Let's see what it let's see what the Lexus formula looks like at midsize. Agreed. I'm with you because I think, you know, we, I think a lot of us had this expectation that it's going to come to production just like it is. Well, the LF1 Limitless was still a concept car. Like, let's not forget that fact. Yeah. So that kind of wraps day one, which was a lot. That was a lot. Oh, wow. And just imagine having to experience it in real life. Yes, I was very tired. (laughs) I will say I I didn't participate in too many of the like nighttime activities because I was just pretty tired. I mean, these were awesome days, but they were long days. Because the next day you had to get up and it was time to do some driving. You went down. Yeah, the next uh, day, (laughs) the next day was uh, exhilarating in a different way. So. We went over to headquarters and I was surprised because as soon as we got there, all of the same cars from the previous day that were parked out in the parking lot, we knew that day two was, they like called it raceway experience. So we were going to be doing some track driving and we were going to also be doing some off-road driving. And as soon as we got to HQ, they were like, all right, go pick what you want. Go drive anything you want to drive. <laughs> and, you know, the instructions are in the car. We'll see you at Eagles Canyon Raceway. So I'm not that much of a morning person, I'll be honest with you guys, but um, I also got a little bit caught up talking to some people at breakfast. So I think I was like in the later group of folks to get to HQ. And by the time I got there, a lot of what was left was either Toyota products I'd already driven or there were, and there was like some UXs, which I don't fit into honestly very well. And then there was like an LS, but it was locked. So I'm like in the, I'm like <laughs> kind of standing there in the parking lot. Like you can imagine like there's like 60 cars and I'm standing and looking around and I'm like kind of panicked. Like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? <laughs> so I'm like, all right. And so I ended up driving a 2021 RX 450H F Sport. I've never been the world's biggest fan of the RX. <laughs> I was going to say, you've better set this up in terms of your opinion about the RX. Yeah, I respect the RX as a formula, <laughs> but I guess I also think for me, it's always, it's not been that great of a car for someone like me to drive because, you know, here in the South, a lot of the ones that we get are front wheel drive and, you know, you put 300 horsepower in a front wheel drive car and like I've been driving, you know, like an RX and it's like you hit the gas to pull out in traffic and it's like the tires just spin because it's front wheel drive and there's so much power and then even even the rx all-wheel drive has the older all-wheel drive system which kind of like a lot of people refer to as slip than grip so it's like yeah the car has to lose traction to engage all-wheel drive so i know that the rx buyer does not even remotely care about these things but anyway so i'm out there and I have to say it was also atomic silver and I kind of miss my GX. Like, even though I was out there for a couple of days driving all kinds of cool cars, I was like, I miss, I miss my GX. I miss atomic silver. So this RX 450 HF sport was basically, yeah, surrogate. It was it. It was it. It was it. <laughs> so I have to tell you guys though, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I wasn't expecting to. And also, like, side note, the way that people drive in Texas is insane. I mean, I live in Atlanta, so it's not even that much better here. But on the highway in Texas, like, everybody just drives 85 to 90 miles an hour. And there's times in Atlanta where you can get away with that, but it's certainly not the default. When you get on the highway in Texas, like, that's how people drive. It is buck wild. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be ready. You you have got to be ready. So, like, here I am getting on the highway in an RX and I'm like, oh boy, this is gonna, this is going to be a long drive. 
But here's the thing. The RX hybrid is so great because of oh, the hybrid, yeah. because of the, the all-wheel drive system is much more full-time than the gas RX. And it's quick. You know, it's the older system now, but it's V6 hybrid, not four-cylinder hybrid. So all of a sudden, like I'm getting on the highway and darting around cars and merging onto the highway. And I'm like, wait a minute, like this thing holds its own. And uh, it's actually, I, I really, really enjoyed driving it. And yeah. it's a good size. It was, of course, super comfortable. I love the hybrid system with the V6. I also have to say, like, it handled pretty well. Like, there was part of it where we got off the highway to go onto side roads towards Eagles Canyon Raceway, and I put it mm -hmm. in sport. I like, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but it's great. Like, it was a great car to drive, and I really, really, really liked it. <laughs> I really liked it. Well, yeah, I mean, that uh, V6 hybrid powertrain is, uh, to me, it's an all-time classic. Yeah. It was great in the GS and great in the RX. and. It is. Yeah. And I think when I looked at it, I mean, consider that I was going 85 miles an hour on the highway for 40 minutes to get to Eagles Canyon Raceway and then got off the highway. When I finally got there and I looked at it, I think it was still getting like 25 or 26 miles to the gallon. I think it was like 25 yeah. and a half. <laughs> and I wasn't, you know, I was pushing it and trying to see what was up with the RX hybrid. And I was pleasantly surprised. So a little bit of respect for the RX hybrid. Nice to hear. Nice to yeah, hear. Yeah. It, yeah. It definitely changed my attitude. So that was great. I really wasn't even ready for what was going to come next so we got to eagles canyon raceway went inside and the first part of it was a track experience on the track at eagles canyon raceway and yeah. the vehicles they had were the lc500 the lc500 convertible the is350 f sport with dynamic handling package the rc350 f sport the supra 3.0 and 2.0 so you can tell that the focus here was for lexus at least lexus driving signature for sure yeah wrecking um, some tires they also yes oh yeah they also had drive-alongs in the is 500 f sport performance which was amazing as well as the rcf fuji speedway edition and the new gr86 so kevin you and i talked a lot about this because <laughs> yeah. we've talked about this too at previous events but at first i was like not wanting to wreck anybody's car that wasn't mine so i think my first couple laps were a little bit more tame yeah the first things i, I drove the lc 500 first just because it's a car i've driven before and i felt a little bit more comfortable and yeah, for sure. i actually <laughs> i actually drove the convertible more than the coupe no. just because oh, wow. it was so the v8 yeah. i mean think about it like going around a racetrack in that convertible and just listening to the v8 the entire time and not that you don't hear it in the coupe but open air in the convertible was just awesome yeah I absolutely love the LC 500. There's no other word. There's no other way to put it. I absolutely love that car. I literally think it's perfect. I know it's heavy. I know it could have a turbo V8. I know, I know, I know. But yeah. I just absolutely love that car. And the more that you drive it, the more that you love it. And it was the car throughout the day that I kept coming back to drive because I love driving it so much. Like I said, I drove the LC first to get comfortable on the track. And then when I felt a little bit more like I you know, knew what I was working with, I was like, all right, let's go for the Supra. Okay. Read a lot about it, heard a lot about it. Let's drive the Supra. And first of all, I don't fit very well in it, especially with a helmet on. I wasn't yeah. super comfortable. A lot of comments about what are BMW parts and what are Toyota parts on and on. You know, people can dispute that all day long. I just want to talk about how the car drove. Yeah completely polar opposite driving experience from the lc and so of course they're different cars of course the lc costs as much as two supras so i'm not sitting here trying to like compare them apples to apples the lc like i said and we all know 
is heavy. It also has a naturally aspirated V8, which has to be revved to get power, but it sounds absolutely incredible while you do it. And it's definitely an experience that the more you drive the LC, the more you get out of it and the more fun you have. And like I said, the more you love it. When I drove the Supra, the experience is so different. Like the Supra is a car where by the time that you think about something, the Supra is already doing it. The LC no. is a car that you have to work with to kind of like get what you want. Like you have to be prepared for the car's weight to shift in the corners. You have to be prepared to downshift at the right time to hit a curve the right way. The Supra is so fast and it just it feels like a glove, like the way the car fits you and the way the car drives. There is no question that the Supra is considerably faster than the LC500. I mean, whether you are in curves or on the straightaway or whatever, I mean, the Supra is an absolute rocket. Like, it is a cruise missile around a track, and it is so fun and so fast. But I just kept coming back to drive the LC500 because something about it was so much more fun. I also drove the IS350 F Sport with dynamic handling package. And, you know, it's a little bit tough to go from an LC500 or a Supra to an IS350 <laughs> because it's yeah, just not even remotely sure. as fast. The IS is just still such a good package. It's so balanced. Mm -hmm. It's easy and fun to drive. I mean, it definitely could use a little bit more horsepower. Man, it's just still such a good car to drive. And it really was. Well, I think that you're hitting on the Lexus driving signature in a different way. And and one of the experiences that I've had over the years is I always feel more comfortable in a Lexus on a track as opposed to other brands mm -hmm. because I'm not a, I by no stretch of the imagination am I somebody that would go to a track and, and drive a track outside of these events. Right, right. Uh, but, but over the years, you know, I've participated in a lot of these events. And one of the things that's great about Lexus is how it augments your experience. It really does feel like a partner on the track, I find. Most mm -hmm. Lexuses feel like they're trying to help you. I don't want to talk about the politics of the Supra, but at the end of the day, there is a lot of BMW in that Supra. Yeah, yeah. And what you're experiencing is that BMW flavor. Right, agreed. And I just feel that with Lexus, there's a baseline safety Mm -hmm. but that it allows you to still have fun. And I've always really loved that. I loved it. You know, even the RCF for all its maligned press, I always felt safe with that car on the track. I, you're totally right. The way I would describe it is it's so approachable. It's like, yes, <clears throat> it's, um, driving the LC, it's fun and it's still a fast car and you're hearing the V8 and it still does handle well for what it is. But there's a sense in the Supra that if you don't pay really close attention to what you're doing and you're not driving the car it wants to be the way it wants to be driven, that it'll bite back. Yeah. <laughs> the LC500, the LC500 lets you know when you're getting to the limit, when you're doing a little too much and then how to get you back. Yeah, I think probably one of the most interesting things was at the end of the day, we had a rooftop dinner and it was again, you know, it was folks from Automotive News and Motor Trend and a bunch of different outlets. And I asked the table that I was sitting with, I said, of all the cars that we drove today, which one was your favorite and which one would you take? And every person said the LC 500, <laughs> which surprised me oh, because, yeah, that's surprising. you know, I mean, I feel like there's so much love for the Supra. And, you know, again, I know that the LC costs as much as two Supras, so that's probably part of it. But it just was interesting to hear so much praise and so much love 
from automotive media in person for the LC. And they all said the same thing, which was Supra's, you know, a demon. It's so fast on the track, but the car that's really actually the most fun to drive and the most rewarding to drive is the LC. And I, like you said, I'm no professional track driver or anything like that. But for somebody who went out and drove a bunch of different product and had a lot of fun, the LC definitely was the one that I walked away like that is a hell of a car. But what about like the IS 500 F Sport and uh, the yeah. RCF? Yeah. So while we could not drive the IS 500 or the RCF Fuji Speedway Edition by ourselves, they were doing drive-alongs. So the IS 500 drive-along was with Townsend Bell and the RCF Fuji Speedway Edition drive-along was with Scott Pruitt. Oh, and Scott. yeah, so they were doing the runs on the track in between people driving the other stuff that I mentioned before. So I came back and uh, so I got in the IS 500 and man, it's just it's awesome. And it, it really, really, really reminded me of the first time that I was in an ISF. Part of it's the V8 and the sound. But I remember the first time I was in an ISF, they had an event here at Atlanta Motor Speedway and I went and unfortunately, like the sky opened up and it started pouring rain. And I was like, well, there's no way we're going to be able to do a racetrack event in the rain. And I was wrong. (laughs) And the I, I mean, I don't remember what tire it was. I think it was like a Michelin Pilot, you know, Super Sport Plus or something. Yeah, probably. But it was absolutely pounding rain and they had us going around this track in isfs like and i was sure that i was going to be dead yeah i mean i I was sure that we were going to hide your plane die crash into a wall but the car was like such an animal and so balanced it just like being in this is 500 reminded me so much of that experience but anyway we're going around the track and i mean this car has a couple upgrades like uh an aftermarket exhaust so it's not a hundred percent factory spec car but it's pretty close to the is 500 that we will get and it was just a blast i mean so coming out of the is 350 and then going into the is 500 it is not just an is with a v8 it is it is really a wholly different product and the car is so fast it is really 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 quick i mean i would have loved to see the is 500 and the supra probably like townsend and scott kind of like maybe do a a track battle or something because yeah the is 500 of course it feels and behaves and sounds completely different but that thing is a beast it is a beast and of course like going around the track with someone like townsend who knows how to drive was a blast and you have the v8 at full bore i mean just screaming and you know drifting through corners and things like that it was so fun and i can't even tell you guys how excited i am for this car to hit the market so It was interesting because I came back and somehow right as I came back, there was an open spot to immediately do a ride along in the RCF Fuji Speedway edition with Scott Pruitt. So and by the way, there are videos of both of these on the Lexus Enthusiast YouTube channel. I took videos yeah. <laughs> to the best awesome. of my ability. Yeah, it's hard posted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard, uh, yeah. but we did it. And so anyway. You know, Scott has been affiliated with Lexus for a long time, and I guess really so is Townsend. But like, I hope you guys take a minute to watch the video because Scott explains a lot of it before we take off, talking about the balance of the RCF and some of the track focused qualities about that car. So we're in the RCF Fuji Speedway Edition. Scott hits it. You know, we're on the track. And I got to tell you, it was probably 10 seconds in when I realized how different F and F Sport performance really are. And that was a very, very interesting experience for me because particularly that that addition exactly and and like there's been a lot of discussion about why not an isf and like is the is 500 really just an isf it's really not 
as much fun as the IS500 F Sport performance was, the RCF Fuji Speedway Edition feels like a completely different vehicle. And look, I know they are. Like, I know that the platforms are yeah. different and the RCF has the TVD and launch control and all that stuff. But being back to back in those two cars gives you a real appreciation for the difference between F Sport performance and F. And don't get me wrong, F Sport performance is still a blast. Like, the IS500 F Sport performance is like the car that i mean you can throw the tail out it sounds great it's fast like you will have an absolute blast in that car the rcf fuji speedway edition feels like an absolute track attack missile like even more so than the supra the handling is sharper the turn in is sharper the rcf sticks in ways that the is 500 f sport performance doesn't so you know they both have the same v8 they sound pretty similar and things like that but like the rcf fuji speedway edition is truly a road going race car the is 500 f sport performance is a fun more performance oriented version of the is and i hope at different points other people have the opportunity to experience these cars the same way because when lexus talks about an f product being the full-blown best of the best high performance road car experience that is what the rcf fuji speedway edition was and then when they talk about f sport performance being like a couple levels upgraded over the base car that's exactly what the is 500 f sport performance is but i came away very much understanding the difference and how lexus sees these products differently well the whole thing with getting to drive with scott pruitt i mean one of a kind yeah absolutely did he talk and only drive with one hand the whole time no yeah he had both of them on the wheel thankfully <laughs> almost every time he's always takes his hand off of the steering wheel and like looks at me on the track and oh talks to me on the track like like i think just to freak me out because he yeah. knows how much it affects me but <laughs> the guy is like yeah he is really a one of a kind. And I mean, that pairing is, is gotta be like a full bore blast. I can mm -hmm. see. Did you find that after doing all this track driving, like that you were just mentally exhausted? I actually had to sit and I think the thing for me was like, I had so much adrenaline because I did like five or six laps in the LC. I did the ride alongs with Scott and Townsend. I did the Supra. I drove the IS350. And it was like, by the time I came in, I really was like, I am shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and i actually said to mike i was like dude i am so tired and, and like somebody else sitting at the table was like it's your adrenaline like coming off of driving the cars like you're coming down off of it and i was like that yeah. makes perfect sense oh, i so, would always get so wasted oh man yeah so i ended up like sitting there probably for like an hour and a half like rehydrating relaxing and then i was like all right we'll go over you're so responsible the off-road part of it <laughs> I would have just had a Coke and went to the next event. Oh, God. I, that would have <laughs> me up. So what did you do next? I think it was off-road, right? Yeah. So we took a break and then went over. Like, I'd heard about there being an off-road portion of this, but I had so much fun at the track that I really wasn't paying that much attention to it, honestly. So there's actually also an off-road course at Eagles Canyon Raceway. Oh, okay. which was really cool. You guys know that obviously I have a GX. I had forerunners. I've done a fair amount of trail driving. I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun, actually. So this part of the course was set up with the LX570, the GX460, the Forerunner Venture Edition, the Tacoma TRD Pro, Tundra TRD Pro, and Sequoia TRD Pro. So it was all focused on the body-on-frame off-road products. I first drove the LX570, 
driving it the day before on the road, I was kind of like, man, this thing's getting long in the tooth, boy. Yeah. <laughs> but after you drive the LX off-road, it's like, okay, yeah. I get it now. <laughs> and, there's a, and it's, there's a reason why it is the way that it is, right? On the road. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's that point that a lot of folks have made of like, it's really hard to fully appreciate the engineering and the purpose of an LX or a GX sometimes as luxury SUVs because they so rarely ever make it off-road and it's off-road where they shine. Yes. You know, the LX, they were even Inspiration Series LXs. They took you out off-roading in an Inspiration Series? Yes, no joke. Um, <laughs> inspirational is right. The GX even had the sport design package on the GX, which has that oh, okay. front and back lip spoiler as well as 19-inch right. wheels with like lower profile tires. And you ripped one off. Yeah, and I was like... <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> like, how's this going to work? <laughs> Man, I mean, the Lexus SUVs off-road are just insane. And so the course was set up with a bunch of different elements. Like, it was basically a whole, like, rock gravel path to get out there. There's parts of it that are just kind of basic off-road. There was, like, creeks and water. There was mud. There was rock wow. mounds. Uh, point where like you basically get the car almost like 50 degrees off the ground going Yikes. around um, a mound and they want you to be able to use the around view cameras yeah in the lx i drove the second time i turned the traction control off which actually made it a lot more fun going through the mud and stuff like that just because like if you free up the system to be able to spin the tires a little bit, you can have a lot more fun, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the LX was just a beast. And like after coming off of driving the track cars, I was at first I was going down the rock path at like 20 miles an hour because I think I just was kind of zoned out. Yeah. And so it was really cool, actually, because they had Ivan Stewart, the Iron Man uh oh, wow. at the event yeah and so i'm in this lx 570 and i was honestly you guys i was just kind of like zoned out like i did whatever it was 12 13 laps total on eagles canyon raceway like we just had barbecue for lunch i'm out of it and like so i'm in an <laughs> lx 570 going down this rock path and i was probably like i said going like 15 miles an hour and all of a sudden like ivan stewart in the other lx 570 like blows past me <laughs> going like 35 <laughs> miles an hour and i was like i gotta pick it up so i kind of like i'm like yeah okay like let me get into the mindset here so anyway yeah. you know as much as i struggled with the lx the day before when you take the lx off road is when it's like it shines i mean you see the engineering so it's like going 30 miles an hour over gravel off road and you're still sitting in an suv that's extremely comfortable and extremely capable and then you are plowing through mud and going around a dirt mound and things like that and like there was a crawl course where you had to put it in crawl control to get over the rocks and stuff like Oh my it's just God, incredible. I feel so stressed with you talking about this. <laughs> it, well, yeah, man, I, it's just like you, you really sit there and you're like, OK, I get it now. Yeah. You, you know, the LX was just awesome. And I brought it back. And of course, owning a GX, I get back and I get in the GX and I was like, all right, you know, it feels nice to be home. And but I was a little worried because with that sport design package and the bigger 19 inch wheels, I was like, I hope I don't snap something off or get a flat tire or whatever. But again, I mean, it's just we look at the LX and the GX like luxury SUVs and they're actually really some of the toughest most capable vehicles on the planet and those things are easy to overlook until you get to a position like that and you're able to really see a little bit of what they're capable of so it was a lot of fun oh really yeah for sure yeah and uh i also drove you know obviously i have had forerunners so i didn't actually drive the forerunner but i did drive the tacoma trd pro which it's like just completely different under the experience from the lx 570 where you know the lx is like you're off-road and you feel like you can do anything and you know you're invincible but driving the tacoma trd pro was like driving a big four-wheeler have you ever driven a four-wheeler yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, of course, I'm like, I know the course now because I've been through in the LX and the GX and the easiest car to like beat up was the Tacoma TRD Pro. And I don't mean beat up, beat up, but it's like the suspension has more travel. The tires have more sidewall. So it's like it just feels really at home out on those kind of blow through it. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I was blowing through in the Tacoma TRD Pro, which was a lot of fun. I came back and uh, as I was getting out of the Tacoma, there was a gentleman sitting there who was product specialist over the body on frame products. So I was chatting him up a little bit about the GX and I had mentioned, you know, I had a Forerunner and I just bought a GX and he just got a Forerunner. So we were chatting a bit about it and we talked like we had some pretty interesting discussion about the future Forerunner and the future GX and actually the Land Cruiser and the Sequoia. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically the GX and the, just talking about sales, like some of the same things we were chatting about before with how it was tough for me to even buy one because there's so few of them around, they've become so popular. And I said something like, you know, it's hard for me to think about how they couldn't do a third generation GX. And I wrote down his quote here, so I'm going to read it. But he said, the market is always changing. And while it's generally a US product, it has been so successful and so strong that we are not walking away from the segment actually the product will just get better and he kind of like had a smile on his face when he said that so i was like oh all right um and he said you know they're currently working through concepts and things for the next generation forerunner which is exciting and i brought up the land cruiser and i said it's tough knowing that the land cruiser is going away and his response to me was when you guys see the new sequoia the new sequoia is just gorgeous hmm and so, you know, everything's been about the Tundra so far, but that was the first time we'd ever heard anybody specifically say anything about the Sequoia. And I was like, huh, okay. So he said the new Sequoia is awesome. And, uh, you know, similar to some other rumors, like, I, you know, I was kind of asking some leading questions, of course. And I was like, you know, some of the rumors are the Land Cruisers going away, but might come back. And he said, yeah, you know, we're watching the Wrangler and the Bronco. And, you know, it's possible that we may make the decision to come back and rejoin that segment. And it might be under the Land Cruiser name. Who knows? We'll see. Well, I think that it's really something that Lexus has carved out this niche Mm -hmm. with their body on frame SUVs because there aren't a lot of them out there. I mean, and by saying that, I mean luxury SUVs, body on frame. And they have these, these new concepts, you know, that they've done these overlander concepts. And you really have to figure that they really need to push that direction. They really need to embrace the ability that they have to compete in those markets that their other luxury manufacturers can't really compete in. I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, I was talking to a couple people about the GXOR concept and the J201 concept, which is based on the LX and just saying like, you know, these are really impressive vehicles. And as somebody who's a part of this like Forerunner GX Land Cruiser community, there's a big appetite for this. And they just kind of smiled. Then they were like, we know. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it, that they have to. And I mean, we've alluded to this idea yeah. so many times over the last few episodes. And I, I think that as a differentiator in the market, Lexus has something that nobody else has. Agreed. And I'd really like to see them capitalize on it with their next generation product. I agree. I just have a feeling that something like that's going to happen. Talking about uh, body on frame products with Andrew Gilliland and then just seeing the energy in the off-road and the overlanding community and the concepts like just seems like there's too many signs for it to not happen. So, yeah, (laughs) but yeah, that was so that was actually the wrap on day two. So it was the track and then it was the off road course and it was a lot of fun. Day three is when things were a little bit more laid back. Basically, the opportunity to come back to HQ, 
we could look at all the cars, like all the reveals, like the Corolla Cross and the 86 and everything was out there to sit in and check out. Mm -hmm. But when I got there that morning, the IS 500 F Sport Performance was parked out front. And I was, you know, a lot of you saw this on Instagram and Facebook because I posted the videos, but I was talking to one of the product specialist people and I was like, hey, you know, why don't you start that thing up? <laughs> can I <laughs> can I get a video of you revving it? And yeah. the, he was like, absolutely. I mean, like they love this car as much as we do. So he's like, absolutely, right. let me do it. And I had a couple interesting conversations with him. It was Rich Hollingsworth. He's awesome. Like we're going to have him on the podcast when we get closer to the launch of the IS 500 F Sport yeah, Performance. Awesome. But yeah. just a super passionate guy. Like it's cool to meet somebody who really loves the product as much as we do, but also works internally and knows the business side of it. Yeah. And I asked him specifically, I said, what does the future for the IS look like? Because at this point it's been pulled out of a lot of global markets due to emissions, but here it's almost like never been so successful. You know, the success of the 350 F sport and dealers can barely keep them in stock and people have gone crazy over the styling. And he said something Things that I was so happy to hear and it was that Lexus is extremely extremely committed to the IS as a product especially oh, USA North yeah, America like he made the point many times that they fought for the 2021 they fought for the IS 500 F Sport performance because the market wanted it and it was the right product and all of their decisions have paid off and he said that actually yeah. some of the other global markets are now asking for the IS back because the reception has been so positive here and people in some of these markets are going to dealers being like I want it <laughs> Yeah. I want it like bring it back. So now it's just it's you know what a precarious position for Lexus to be in where they pulled it out of markets again I think mostly because of emissions and real consumers and buyers are saying like bring it back we want it. And so now these markets want it back. And um we talked a little bit too about the shrinking market for sedans and mm -hmm. Lexus feels like they're actually really 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 well positioned with the ES and the IS in this market and there are some people who still want the traditional experience and soft and even like he said specifically, like a lot of these people still like front wheel drive. Yeah. And for those people, they have the ES. But he said for the IS, one of the reasons it's so important to Lexus is that it has the lowest age of any Lexus product for a buyer. And it right. also has the lowest age in the segment. And these people who come in and buy ISs tend to stick with the brand after that. Right. So it's incredibly important to them in terms of like a part of their performance portfolio. It's an approachable product in the lineup. It brings people in and they graduate up. He said, there's no doubt about Lexus commitment to the IS. And I think the best thing he told me was that, you know, I was kind of prodding him again a little bit, trying to ask some leading questions like, you know, for the future, is the RC going to be sticking around you know is it not and his response was going forward our goal is to have the is and the rc be four door and two door versions of the same formula yeah perfect. so if you're an yeah. rc fan or you're an is fan you can't call that an official announcement but in the context of that conversation it certainly was really really positive what did he say about uh, f sport performance then, in terms of that being something that makes its way through the rest of the lineup yeah, that was probably one of the other exciting pieces of that conversation because we were standing there like literally three feet away from the IS 500 F Sport Performance. And I and I mentioned to him what I just told you guys about riding in that car on the track back to back with the RCF. You know, I really felt the difference between a, a full F product and an F Sport Performance product. Again, I was asking some leading questions here, hoping, you know, to see what I could get out of it. But I said, looking at what we just learned from the NX and, you know, some of the new flexibility of TNGA 
and this new middle tier of performance, I have to think that in the future with things like all wheel drive or direct four and batteries, like it opens the door for like an NX or an RX or a TX or an ES F sport performance. And he just kind of laughed and said, yes. (laughs) <laughs> again it's like i'm you can't take it as confirmation but it seems like they're they're having the same conversations exactly i think so and they they see f sport performance as the perfect way to bring some of those products you know up a notch which we've never had before which is pretty exciting i think one of the interesting themes of what you've been describing from this event is you know you talk about the us or north america leading the development of the lexus interface infotainment mm-hmm. and now we're talking about how North America pushed for this IS and they had a lot of success with continuing on with the IS where all the other markets have uh, discontinued it and how Mm -hmm. that was a success. And I'm wondering if maybe the influence of the USA and North America is growing back to its, you know, the root of Lexus, you know, being a North American brand. They've focused a lot on the other parts of the world for so long, trying to grow globally. And now we're seeing North America coming in and, and making some some headway in terms of getting products that this market wants. And I, I think that that's really exciting because it really, so many of the launches over the last few years have been directed at markets outside of North America. Mm-hmm. And the ones that were for North America, like the LC and the LS, they're just maybe inopportune times for those models to come mm-hmm. in. It's really nice to see what North American consumers want reflecting in the products again. I totally agree. And I think that's a great point because, you know, we talked about it a bit, but there was this move a couple of years ago where Lexus was kind of going away from regions and more towards centralizing power in Japan. And so yeah. there was a point where it felt like the regions had more autonomy. but I think what you're saying is exactly true, and it's very reflective of some of the conversations I had, which was Lexus Global still wants the markets to be able to do and have the product that will be most successful for them. And the North American team here is excited and energized, and they're really in touch with what the customer wants. And it seems like Lexus is letting them do what they think is right. Well, I mean, you know, we discussed while you were at the event, you just, you really did talk a lot about the energy around Mm -hmm. and how it uh, was really reflected in the people that you talked to. And there was a lot of excitement about Toyota and Lexus. But separately, you know, that's really energizing, I think, for enthusiasts. I think so, too. And there's, you know, I'll be honest, there was definitely a couple years here where I felt like Lexus wasn't heading in the right direction. And we were, you know, we were watching Toyota cranking out new TNGA products like every, you know, six months. And some of them like the Camry and the Venza and things like that were like really solid execution and strong product. And at that point, some of the Lexus products were quite old. And so, you know, I can only speak for myself, but sitting here thinking like, what the heck? I mean, (laughs) what's left for Lexus if Toyota? is getting all the goodies and this is really a new page and a new chapter for Lexus where as good as everything was for Toyota I think that everything's about to get just as good if not better for Lexus and you know bringing it full circle like the NX is such a true reflection of that where yes it uses TNGAK but first debut of Lexus interface first debut of the new 2.4 liter turbocharged four-cylinder first debut of the new full-time all-wheel drive system so here are all the pieces this is Lexus at the forefront turning the page on what's next and what's best. You do see why they needed to have a such a long event to really showcase yeah. everything. 
I thought it was really funny how you said it was like an auto show because um, there just haven't been any auto shows. So yeah, yeah. And I said this to the team. It was really cool because the campus in Plano is big enough that they literally could and did have an auto show there. Doing it on their own turf gives them the ability to control the experience from start to finish. They did an incredible job. Just the whole event was really well curated. But what you said is totally true. Like, I feel like there is an energy and a passion right now. And like, even though there's things people couldn't talk about or bits and pieces of it where they would give details. Everybody at Lexus is really excited for the future right now. And seeing that level of excitement from them makes me really excited too. That kind of excitement is contagious because they're in the trenches all every day Mm -hmm. and they know what's coming. It's really reflective to see that kind of excitement you know, even at an event where everyone's excited. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Coming out of some of these conversations with people about the IS 500 and then even looking at the NX with all of the, you know, firsts that it brings to the table, it really feels like there's positive change happening at Lexus. I'm excited about it. I think that you guys should be excited about it. But, you know, let's even think a couple months down the road from now, you know, based on trademarks, it's probably pretty good chance that the RX is going to be next year. The TX, we're pretty sure will be next year. We know that the LFZ Electrified will be coming to production in the next 14 months. So there's only more coming where this came from. Toyota has been in the midst of change for a couple years. I think Lexus is just starting, but it's really, really exciting to me. And I know that this has been a super long podcast. I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. There was a lot to talk about, <laughs> a lot to talk yeah, about. It's awesome. Still, I a hope lot you've to talk enjoyed about. it. Yeah. So, yeah. with that said, uh, Kevin, anything else? No, I, I mean, I just, I also reflect excitement about the future. I think that it's nice to have something positive, to see Lexus moving towards something positive. And I'm really excited about what's coming up and I can't wait to discuss it with everybody. Yep. I feel the same way. So thank you everyone for tuning in. If you have questions, feel free to send them in. You can do so on the Lexus Enthusiast Forum. I know that we did receive a couple questions this week, which we will actually answer on the next podcast since this one's just kind of plain focused so hit us with your questions uh you know comments are always welcome as well and thanks for tuning in yeah thanks everybody take care